but Christ can set us free. Listen, some people are going to hell because they drink and other people are going to hell because they don't drink and they are so self-righteous over the fact that they don't drink, they don't see their need for a savior. But when you are so satisfied on the inside in your relationship with Christ, my friend, you don't need what the world offers. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in chapter 14 of our study of the book of Romans, and we have seen so far that this chapter deals with what might be termed gray areas of behavior. In other words, Scripture may not be dogmatic on whether Christians have license to do or behave in a certain fashion, but we have seen that often there is Scripture that deals with similar behaviors or that we need to look and make sure that some of those behaviors are not a stumbling block for other believers and their freedom to act in a certain manner. As we pick up, Dr. Brogy also notes that the Holy Spirit can operate in us and put a check in our spirit when we are considering engaging in some questionable behavior. Sometimes God puts a check. He just puts a, a doubt in your heart as to whether or not you have freedom. And sometimes... God will say to one person, others can, but you cannot. And that's why when a particular issue is not clearly spelled out in Scripture, we don't necessarily impose a restriction that God has put on our life on someone else unless there is a very clear principle to it. Now let's take the issue of smoking. It's become very popular in evangelicalism now for Christians to be encouraged to smoke a cigar or a pipe. They'll say, look, Spurgeon did it. Well, a lot of the pastors in Spurgeon Day, even without the knowledge that we have today medically on the harmfulness of, of smoking cigars, they said he shouldn't do it. Maybe that's why he died at 57. I don't know. But a lot of these Christians are saying, look, maybe I'm not really sure whether it's right or wrong, but since there's no verse in the Bible prohibiting it, why can't I smoke my cigar? Well, laying aside the clear principle that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you shouldn't do anything to harm it, if you're not sure, when in doubt, cut it out. And until you can find a clear verse that gives you the freedom, then don't do it. You see, if it's doubtful, you should always give God the benefit of the doubt. It's like the husband who is in the back room and he's changing. He says, honey, is this shirt clean? Can I wear this? She's on the phone with her friend and she says, no, don't wear it. Put on another one. So he puts on another shirt and he comes out. How about this one? Is this one okay? Yeah, that's fine. Well, how did you know the other one wasn't clean? You didn't even come back and ask. see it. She said, if you had to ask, it was dirty. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. If it's doubtful, just change shirts. That, that's the principle. And Paul's going to reiterate the principle down here in verse 22. Notice, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So when we think about the brotherhood of believers, first, I'm not to be a stumbling block. Secondly, I'm not to transgress my conscience. Third, I learn, I'm not to transgress my brother's conscience. I'm not to transgress my brother's conscience. Look now, if you will, in verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt... You don't say, so what? They'll get over it. 
Now, you're not to act that way. If because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer acting according to love. I have a friend who's an alcoholic, or in biblical terms, he's a drunk before he got saved. And in his conscience, he can't even go into a restaurant like the Outback or Applebee's that has a bar in it because it just brings back too many memories and it has too strong a grip on him. Now, I can think of a thousand and one reasons why I can go into a restaurant like that. I went into Applebee's one day and I wanted one of the booths and it was packed, it was full and the closest place they could set me was on a chair about five feet from the bar and I let a man to Christ there. I can think of a thousand reasons why I can go into a restaurant like that. But for him, it brings too many memories and potential temptation and so we go to Cracker Barrel. Now, again, when we come to Romans 15, we're going to talk about how do you make the weak strong so you need to come back. It's kind of like, and part of the reasoning he gives, by the way, is not just knowledge. It's knowledge coupled with love. If you have a child, say, that's afraid of the dark, they think the boogeyman's under the bed or in the closet or whatever, you don't say, well, honey, there's nothing to fear. You know, there's nobody in the room. No, you bring knowledge and love together. You sit down with the child and you explain it to him. And maybe you lay down next to him. Maybe you don't read the little billy goat's gruff like I did to some of my kids right before they went to bed. And they think there's this guy under the bridge under the bed, you know. And No, it's knowledge plus love that will grow the weak Christian. And it's love that will cause us to curb our freedom. And so in verse 15, for if because of food your brother is hurt, You could translate it grieved. It's the same word in Ephesians 4.30 that says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is grieved when we sin. If because of food your brother is grieved, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Paul is saying, look at what it took Jesus Christ in order to save your brother. Can you not sacrifice something in your own life to protect your brother? You don't want to destroy him. He's not talking about them being eternally damned or secure in Christ, but he's talking about that person being demoralized or devastated where their faith is shaken. And so when you have a clear, specific command in the word of God, you follow the rule of law. But when you do not, you follow the rule of love. But if you're in the habit of saying, well, I have the right to do this as a Christian, I'll debate anyone about this area of liberty in my Christian life. I dare anyone to challenge me to do otherwise. These weaker brothers just need to grow up. If that's your attitude, then you are not walking according to love. You're not protecting your brother for whom Christ died. Therefore, verse 16, therefore, do not let what, for you, what is for you a good thing, in this context, the knowledge that you have that all meats have been declared clean, don't let for you what is a good thing be spoken of as evil. There's a person who says, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I have the freedom to do whatever I want. That person has lost sight of bigger issues, issues of testimony, The phrase here in verse 16, spoken of as evil, is one word in Greek, blasphemao. You can hear our word blaspheme. We usually in the 21st century reserve the word to speak of ill things referred to the Lord God. But in the first century and in biblical New Testament, they also use it when you spoke ill of someone else or treated them accordingly. 
Do not let what is spoken of as, do, therefore do not let what for you is a, as a good thing be spoken of as evil. When you are divisive, when you say, look, I'm just going to do my own thing, that is very immature. You need to grow up in Christ. Don't forget you wear the label Christian. And we're not to tear the body of Christ down. We're to build the body of Christ up. They are to see our testimony of love towards one another. Therefore, do not let what for you is a good thing be spoken of as evil. That is why none of the staff pastors in our church will ever ride with a woman of the opposite sex to whom they're not married. Not because the person that they're riding with is necessarily loose, but for appearance issues. That's another principle we could bring in. Some things are not evil at all, but they appear evil. And you never want your testimony to be brought into question because it's too important. Do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Further explanation. Notice, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of Christians in this chapter who wanted to argue diet and days, but Paul wants to talk about the kingdom of God. You don't want to ruin your testimony. Now, it is true that some Christians get bent out of shape on all the wrong things. Oh, we don't celebrate Christmas in our home. It's a pagan holiday. I see it as an opportunity to win the loss for Christ. It's an opportunity once a year to talk about the incarnation and its purpose. We don't celebrate Halloween in our church, Pastor. You know, if a child comes up to the door and you give them a piece of candy, you're giving an offering to the devil. Really. Look, if I'm home on Halloween, I'm going to give them a piece of candy and a gospel tract. I'm going to try to win them to Jesus. But I need to be careful when I'm around a brother that could cause him to stumble. And I need to help those who are weak to become strong. One pastor said to me, he had an over, overly pious person in his church. And he said, he came up to me after the service. And he said, you smile too much and laugh too much and tell too many jokes. And you just need to tone it down. You know, Jesus never once, it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture, smiled or laughed. The Bible never says he took a bath either or combed his hair, but I'm sure he did. <laughs> Grimness is not a spiritual gift. Unbelievers need to see the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Again, he's not speaking of salvation in terms of approval. He's speaking of your service. And I want God to use me. I don't know about you. Now, finally, fourth principle. I am not to be divisive. I'm not to be divisive. Notice now, if you will, verse 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. He's saying, be a peacemaker. Don't be a division maker. Now, when someone offers us peace, we will often take it. But Paul is saying, I don't want you just to take peace. I want you to be one who pursues peace. I want you, you to be the one offering it. And again, he's doing it in these gray areas. Do not tear down, verse 20, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. 
but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. In other words, don't sell out God's cause just to stand up for your own freedom. The opposite of building up God's kingdom is wrecking it and tearing it down. And so he says in verse 21, it is, not, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. By the way, this is a good verse to apply in the realm of abstinence concerning alcohol. You said, I was wondering when you'd get to that. Well, you, you can't talk about gray issues in our day without talking about alcohol. Now, let me first say, and don't misquote me, the Bible does not emphatically teach abstinence. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Well, number one, God allowed water to be mixed with wine because wine was an agent in the first century that killed bacteria. When we first started going to the Ukraine, we couldn't even brush our teeth with the water if you didn't want to get sick. And that's why missionaries for a long time would carry a little wine satchel and they'd squirt a little wine in the water and it would kill the bacteria and it would make it safe to drink. There were some books written between the last Old Testament book and the first New Testament book, the intertestamental period of 400 years, that are not inspired. They were in the first edition of the King James, the 1611, and they were put there for historical reasons to help Christians to know what happened in that 400-year period, but they recognized they were not inspired, but they were helpful in understanding the culture. So, for instance, in one of those books, 2 Maccabees, it says, it is harmful to drink wine alone or, again, to drink water alone, while wine mixed with water is sweet and delicious and enhances one's enjoyment. Uh, there was a uh, rabbinical manual called the Talmud. The Talmud gave a Jewish rabbi certain things that he should do as a good rabbi. And when they celebrated the Passover, there was two things, of course, that God denounces in Scripture. Nobody will debate the fact that God denounces drunkenness. And so what most Christians do to say, well, I don't get drunk, you know, it's wrong to get drunk, but it's not wrong to drink. God says two things. Number one, it's wrong to get drunk. Number two, it's wrong to use strong drink. Now, we'll come to that in a second. And so in the Talmud, because no rabbi wanted to be guilty of violating the Word of God and using strong drink, when they came to the Passover, it specifically said, mix it three parts water to one part wine. In the Didash, which is a second century rabbinical, uh, second century pastoral manual, that pastors would read to, to give them some helpful keys on how to uh, work the church and to apply biblical principles. When it came to the Lord's Supper, and understand the word oinos, wine in the Bible, New Testament Greek, and the word yayin in Hebrew, and in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, is used interchangeably of whether it's fresh squeezed juice, unfermented, it was not called grape juice, they called it oinos or yayin, wine, or it was also used of fermented stuff. And so in the Dadash, lest they be guilty during those times of year when fresh grape juice was not available, and lest they be guilty of using therefore strong drink, it said specifically you mix it three parts water to one part wine. Timothy was told by Paul, don't drink water only, but take a little wine for your frequent ailments. You see, it was very tedious to boil in that day. You had to stoke up a fire and all that that involved. Infiltration, for the most part, was unreliable. 
And so to have safe drinking water, people mixed wine with water. But straight wine in its fermented state was called strong drink. We're not talking about rum and whiskey and vodka. The distilled alcohols didn't even exist until 600 years after the Bible was completed. So number one, You cannot say the Bible teaches total abstinence because they allowed the use of strong drink. They allowed it, according to Proverbs 31, to give to a dying, despairing man. Just like today, we give a man uh, morphine. If he's not dying or despairing, we'd say, what are you doing? Trying to make him high or a drug addict? We call it sinful. But we call it an act of mercy when it's given to a dying, despairing man. And so God allowed it in chapter 31 of Proverbs. Unfortunately, people today... We take it for the effect to get us, to give us a boss. Uh, this is why scripture can refer to wine as a great blessing. Let me read Psalm 104, a verse that's often used to, to justify drinking in moderation. The psalmist says, you cause God the, the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Because of yayin, and either in its fermented or unfermented state, was such a staple like bread was in that day, it's considered a blessing. It would make the heart glad, not the heart drunk or buzzed, but he's speaking here about making the heart glad. The Hebrew word that shows samach, is used 150 times in the Old Testament in multiple contexts, and it just speaks beyond the use of alcohol of something that made you happy. It has nothing to do with getting a high. But people say, well, but moderation is okay. Pastor, it's your problem. You're just a weaker brother. So if you come over to my house, I'll put the wine in the cabinet and we'll drink lemonade. God says wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Who is ever intoxicated by it is not wise. Romans again says it is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. You cannot simply ask, well, a little wine, it never hurt me. You also need to ask, will it hurt someone else? What would happen if Carl Brogy decided to drink wine? And suppose some of the teenagers in our church come over to my house and they open the refrigerator up and they see a bottle of wine. And by the way, let me just say parenthetically, there will be people in here who will tell me, look, pastor, I can drink wine without getting drunk. I wish I could tell you I never had a glass of wine in my life or a beer, but I did ever before I got saved. First time I had a glass of beer, I was flying. You say, but that doesn't affect me that way. You know, I'm so used to it. Oh, okay. So what you're telling me is that you're going to build up a resistance so that it doesn't give you a pause. Now, what's the greatest of all the commandments? To love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. You say, well, it used to take me one glass to get a buzz, but you know, it's like the fourth glass now. Oh, so God wants you to sin for a period of time until you build up a resistance. So Perry Noble came out last week and said, don't ever say that I say you shouldn't drink a glass of wine. Don't ever say that I say I don't have a glass of wine. I always have at least two. 
That's irresponsible. That's a novice in the pulpit destroying the church in South Carolina. So your teenager comes over to my house and he sees the bottle of wine. He says, the pastor has it. The deacon has it. The Sunday school teacher has it. Mom and dad have it. Why can't I have it? And he goes out and he has it. And you know it loosens the person's morals. Habakkuk the prophet tells us that. Many an evil man knows that if he wants to seduce a woman, give her something to drink. And an otherwise virtuous woman would do things that she'd never dreamed she'd do. And if your child goes out and is promiscuous, or if your child goes out and gets into a car accident, don't you blame me. And when you meet God, He will hold you responsible at the judgment seat of Christ. But if you are so self-centered and so selfish that all you ever ask is, does it hurt me? Then your heart is not right with God. It is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. So why am I in favor of abstinence in the first century? Number one, because I think especially in our day, it tarnishes a man's testimony for Jesus Christ. It basically says to the unbeliever that you need something more than Jesus Christ to fulfill your life. Secondly, I'm for abstinence because I don't want to do anything that would cause my brother or sister to stumble. I don't want to contribute to someone's example and the problems that may come. You say, well, it's not my fault, Pastor. Alcoholism is a disease, and I can't take responsibility for it. It is not a disease, and don't ever say that. It is so far from the truth. It may disease your body, but God does not call it a disease. If it were a disease, God could not hold a man morally responsible. That'd be like saying, well, people who get cancer cannot enter the kingdom of God. God says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor effeminate, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a disease, it's a moral issue. People say, well, you know, we don't really know what the cause of alcoholism is. Who are you kidding? It's alcohol. You say you're being simplistic. Look, if there was some agent that if you took it, and you knew it caused cancer, you'd tell people, don't take that. It will give you cancer. Listen, you never drink alcohol, you will never become a drunkard. The third reason I'm in favor of abstinence is because I don't believe it truly glorifies God in our day. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We used to take Audrey and I, a hundred or so students, down to Daytona Beach every winter to do a week of evangelism. And I would see those beer companies set up there giving away free beer and making those kids so drunk so they couldn't stand up. It's an evil industry in this nation. You'll see the seductive ads on the Super Bowl in a few weeks. It's evil men running an evil industry. You want to contribute to that cause? I don't want to stand before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. I believe I would have deep regrets if I did. And fourth, I am against alcohol because the alcohol, the wine, much less the distilled liquors, the wine as it's packaged today is considered strong drink. And for you to say otherwise, the burden of proof is on you to show otherwise. 
Go to my website, searchthescriptures.org, click on blogs, an excellent article written by a brother from Princeton Seminary dealing with this issue in detail. Do you know alcohol keeps a lot of people lost? Not because it's such a hard sin to forgive. It's because it has such a strong grip on people. But Christ can set us free. Listen, some people are going to hell because they drink, and other people are going to hell because they don't drink, and they are so self-righteous over the fact that they don't drink, they don't see their need for a Savior. But when you are so satisfied on the inside in your relationship with Christ, my friend, you don't need what the world offers. In Acts 2, the critics said, when the Holy Spirit of God came, they are full of sweet wine. And Peter stood up. He said, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. It's just nine in the morning. He didn't say they were not drunk. He said they were not drunk as you suppose, because they were drinking from a different fountain. They were intoxicated and filled with the joy of God, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus came to give real life a full life. And you can have it if you will come in repentance and faith. And if you do have it, let's not become like the world to try to win the world. It's your distinctiveness from the world as salt and light that will give you a platform to win the world. Now, our Holy Father, we thank you today for your word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And as I've been preaching, I know in some people's minds they're arguing with me, and I know there are other passages that I could have dealt with, and I have helped them to go online and listen. But I just pray for every believer here, everyone that names the name of Christ, that when we meet you in heaven, Lord Jesus, and we face you eyeball to eyeball, and you evaluate our service, that you'll be able to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You know, our heart is not to be legalistic, nor is it to fall into license, but to walk in balance and to apply the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. I pray today, Father, for someone who's here, who's never received Christ. Thank you that the Lord Jesus in his own body and the cross didn't bear some of our sin, but all of it. We are reminded this morning that the thief, the devil, comes only to kill and to destroy and to steal. But you've come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Help someone sitting in this room, someone sitting there on our Bluffton campus, in simple, childlike faith to call upon the Lord Jesus, to trust that his death and resurrection can save them. Would you do that? Would you say in simple, childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. May we not be brash or arrogant. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be Christ-centered. Help us to be biblical. Help us not to be politically correct. Help us to be like salt that is truly salty. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. What Christ has to offer is worth so much more than what the world has to offer. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our Roman series, use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app for smartphones and tablets 
or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also call and request the Brotherhood of Believers program ROM67 on CD or DVD. Our phone number is 877-787-7478. Perhaps you have a question you'd like to ask Pastor Brogy personally. You can do that Tuesday mornings between 11 and noon Eastern during his live call-in program, The Bible Line. Listen to The Bible Line online at wagp.net. Tomorrow we move into chapter 15 of Romans in a message entitled, Unity in the Church. Join us then as we search the scriptures.